All right. Let's. I, what are we doing? Is this how it starts? This is how this how it begins? Oh man, it's so it's so mysterious. It's like I'm like nervous but also excited at the same time. All right, welcome to the quiet storm. Oh wait, no, no, that's the wrong one. Uh okay, here we go. I know what it is now. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Action for Everyone on this Sunday, October 8th. I forgot what day it was. That's a, that's a crazy day, right? <laughs> I am your co-host, Vice Victus. Joining me today, as always, is Michael Scott. Hey, bud. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to welcome to hosting duties. Thank you for allowing me to just uh coast for this episode. I appreciate it. Yeah, so like I said, like when I said from the very first episode when I joined this show. I'm always super nervous about speaking. And as of, as we've gone over time, I've gotten more comfortable with it. You know, just kind of let it loose and um, enjoying the flow. Um, but I people should know that we kind of waited here. It's kind of, you know, free form, kind of see to your pen stuff here, actually, for everyone. But this show could not work without the, the itinerary, the schedule, the kind of the plan in place by the podcast master, Mike himself. Like... It, I think it's taken for granted when you, you, yes, it's just some two assholes in a room recording over the internet, but it's a lot more than that. And, you know, Michael tell you, like, and anybody who's ever had him as a guest or hey, who's been on his show, his various shows, as it were, you, you guys know, it's like, there's a lot that goes to this stuff, but it's not just, uh, it's not as easy as it sounds, at least uh, not, you know, especially in my case, because I just, I just show up and talk shit and leave. You know, he there's so much stuff behind the scenes. All, all that was just to say that um today I'm taking over quick for like the main uh driving I'm taking my behind the wheel of the A4A bus. Uh our other co-host, Liam McDonald, he is uh, out for today, taking a mental health day. Um that's not a that's not either in light or a joke, by the way. Just like uh, everybody in any uh capacity sometimes needs a day off. And you know, we definitely want to provide that for our brother, our friend. Um, you know, so anyway, otherwise everything's cool. No, there's no big issues, no worries. He's not in hospital, hospital like I was. He's not. He's not in anaphylactic shock. So don't worry, everybody's fine. We just uh, change it up for a little bit. So, which is to say, uh, I'll kind of just uh, keep things. This is more of a truncated, truncated. <laughs> yeah, hard to say, truncated. Shorter, shorter bit. It's a shorter episode today. But we do want to definitely record. To uh, there's a lot of stuff. That, uh, well, so funny thing was uh. This weekend, uh, in movie theaters, it seemed like it was really a, a slow release weekend. So our earlier, our, I put out a tweet saying, hey, what are you guys watching? What's going on? What other media is out there? And I got so many great replies from you all, listeners, the fan base, the, uh, the action Twitter as a whole, and just other people, who are, uh, other associated followers, and just people who were who wanted to do, give me a shout out. You know, that they weren't followers, that I didn't know them, but they just wanted to like, help me out. Thank you guys all for all the uh, wonderful recommendations you guys, did, you guys have sent, sent us. So with that, today I'm just going to, uh, there's some stuff from both this weekend and uh, this previous week that I wanted to catch up on, uh, kind of the, uh, by popular demand. And uh, yeah, so we'll cover a few of those things. Uh, it's a few uh, shows and movies, kind of, you know, the first spectrum of media, like we always do. And yeah, we'll have fun doing it. Uh, Mike, uh, so, yeah, so now what happens? Now, now you do. <laughs> <laughs> so... For everybody listening, I I I have had a a a, a terribly busy week, so this is going to be mostly Vice's show, and I'll just chime in from the peanut gallery. Um, but uh, but yeah, lead us into the first thing, bud. All right, so yeah, so all right, let's, let's get started. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, man, I'm like a deep. What's that movie, movie with uh, Christian Slater? The he's a pirate radio guy. That's what Pump up the volume. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pump up the bullshit right now. <laughs> 
stuff is a yeah you've maximum. already got you've already got the pseudonym right so so you're you're good you're good you just we just need to get you a short wave you know talk hard so <laughs> all right maximum bullshit here we go so first thing on the agenda um people were, were on netflix uh series uh people were really excited about this coming out and um it's one of the uh higher quality both animated um features or uh, series in the past couple of years and also what's being argued is maybe one of the maybe the best uh video game adaptation this is of course uh the, the netflix series the castlevania the animated uh series that's been uh that different the various video games so uh a few years ago they were well it, as of now there's been uh the first series uh castlevania proper that had four seasons you know which were all you know really well received and a great response this is now the uh, next series, next iteration, uh, Castlevania Nocturne. And so, and all Castlevania lore of the games, as it were, it's a whole thing about um this uh, holy bloodline of the clan called the Belmonts, who are vampire hunters, and they face Dracula and the various other vampires and mortal enemies throughout the history. So, you know, there's a whole, like, family tree in the games, uh, the, the Belmont clan, Victor and Trevor and Simon and all these motherfuckers, I, I don't know. Uh, so the, the the series kind of loosely uses that. Uh, oh, and here's some most of that kind of lore, and but does its own thing to make a really succinct uh, and cool series. Um, really cool, um, fascinating, dramatic stuff going on. Uh, big point: the first series was uh, was written. Showrunner was a uh, Warren Ellis. So there's actually so what was so striking was that uh, the games are you know it's a, it's a mostly straightforward game. That has a cool gothic elements and uh you know also mystical stuff and you know also sort of nonsense but uh there's some really significant and serious theological and philosophical stuff going on in that original uh in that original series thanks to ellis um and it's you know and of course it's already this crazy line like uh they're, they're full of weird strange uh dialogue as well like when, at one point the hero uh trevor says uh off into snake fucking really crazy lands of, of nonsense like just like this wild out there dialogue that you wouldn't expect from an animated series let alone any series at all so yeah uh, but along with that it was just a really top-notch high-end uh animation particularly in the fight scenes it's almost like they would uh well a common thing in in the japanese anime production is that the, the budgets will be uh kind of saved for like the uh climax set pieces of certain episodes and they kind of have a similar vibe here where like uh there's uh, the, all the drama or dramatic uh, sequences happen through most of the episodes, and then when it's time for a climax, the action finale, they kind of go all out. It's really spectacular, high-end animation, like you know, it's almost like Studio Sugar style. If, you, if you're familiar with them, very high-end stuff. And so, with that all said, that kind of same same vibe, the uh, the really serious or drama that's written well and seriously for adults, but also this high-end uh, animation, the spectacle, is here in spades uh, in this new series, Castlevania Nocturne. Uh, takes place a few hundred years after, so in, in our time, seventeen the seventeen uh, hundreds uh, during the French Revolution, and so this time the hero is uh, uh, Richard Belmont again, one of the uh, one of the fan favorites, I guess you would call it, of the game series. Um, yeah, so kind of without getting into too much detail, just the same thing. The similar vibe. There's a very serious theological, philosophical kind of explorations here that they use they use using the, using the actual vampire mythology to its fullest extent. Um, but also what's interesting in this series that uh, they also add a, uh, another element the, uh, at, when they explore the colonialism. And, uh, in this case, uh, there's various characters who are form one's a former slave who was freed, uh, who was a 
whose master was a vampire. And so they kind of explore that part as well, how the uh, how the the predator and prey, the uh, how less powerful, the, the master slave dynamic uh, is all kind of intertwined with the vampire allegory. So really interesting stuff. Um, and Mike, have you have you seen the first series at all? Have you seen any, any of the previous Castlevania um, movies? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I'm familiar with the games. Um, I've played a good portion of the games. I've obviously played Symphony of Night, the important one, which is my understanding is one of the big, you know, that this Rondo of Blood and Symphony of Night are kind of the two that this series right. is based on. I watched most of the first series. I have to admit, I kind of tapped out when the whole Warren Ellis thing happened. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, if you're not into comics, Warren Ellis at one point was arguably my favorite comic writer um, and and is a legend in the industry uh, and is also a super fucking creep. And uh, mm -hmm. and 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 Castlevania was running as all this stuff came out. And so it kind of soured me on finishing the series. Um, yeah, yeah. That being said, for those who are concerned about that, Ellis has nothing to do with Nocturne. So you can actually watch Nocturne without having to feel ooky about it. Uh, they they got rid of him. He's he's out of the picture. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did. I did like the first series quite a bit when I watched it. First of all, I had the voice work. You know, one of my favorite British actors is Richard Armitage. Yeah. Uh, he played Trevor, uh, the great Jamie Callis from Battlestar Galactica played Alucard. And I know he's at least cameoing in this series or something along those lines, I guess, minor spoilers, but, but <laughs> really, really great voice work. And just looking at the voice cast for this one, also exceptional. My girl, Lola from Run, Lola, Run, Franca Potente is in this. So I definitely do need to sit down and watch this one. And, and some of our, some of our, brethren on the discord like chris barreras and and some other folks have been really really uh singing the praises of this one that it's as good as good or better even than the original series so um yeah i'm i'm excited to dig into it yeah like i said um like i just mentioned the, the cast one of the cool things about the castlevania series thus far at least is that um so, so a lot of times um animated features or cartoons they'll have i guess stunt casting they'll have these um known established actors doing voice work but the sometimes these arises where acting screen acting is not the same thing as voice acting there's different nuances and different performance valences that are required for animation that some that a lot of actors can't really pull off all the time um so that sometimes it'll but you know they're, they're cast for the, the star power of the name and to get the draw but they don't really contribute much to the performance in of itself the Brad the Brad Pitt Sinbad animated movie from from the 90s or from the early 2000s to me is the most like notorious example of that. Like I thought Brad Pitt was so horrible in that movie because he was just being Brad Pitt and and, and voice acting requires, you know, if you've ever watched behind the scenes stuff on on voice actors, the work they do, it's it's kind of like stage acting. They have to kick everything up. Like everything has to be exaggerated so that the animators have more to work with. Yeah. And Brad Pitt was just his usual, like laid back chill self, but you, you separate that laid back chill voice from the laid back chill Adonis that is Brad Pitt. And you just have a guy that sounds like he's half asleep for the entire <laughs> fucking movie. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I think Cavs me is really well is that the, somehow they, they managed to, 
the actors kind of do have that, as you said, that's um chill, laid back voice for the most in various degrees. But it's almost like they they imbue the rather than the actor imbuing the character, the character almost imbues the actor in a way, or, or rather like a they kind of meld that person's physical persona to the character, and it's probably because of the uh, the the dialogue itself is kind of um, I don't want to say dry, but like it's not it's not heightened, it's not um, operatic per se. Even though it's with the vampires, it's very god sitting. They kind of they still like it's very grounded speech. That's to like especially in the first series of Trevor, he's just kind of very sardonic, sarcastic asshole. That's his character, but it's, and it's kind of like played as this kind of almost droll tone, but that matches what they're going for because that's the contrast between this kind of they're making the almost the mundanity or the reality of vampire hunting uh, more more effective. And yet, at the same time, though, when it's time to like explode with the animation, it still works. So yeah, it's a very distinct vibe that the show has, and it does the same thing here in this new season. Um, the actors like it's almost like, yeah, it's yeah, it's almost like a live action, live action, non live action animation. Like they're you you, you could just as easily imagine those actors themselves in in costume on stage in the in the animated settings, but it's just animated. It, it, it somehow finds that right vibe of uh, matching the animation to the performances. Um, so yeah, it's really cool at that. Uh, and so just to say, um, probably the best example of this in the two season. So one of the uh, newer newer characters, uh, Annette, uh, this is played by Tuso Emedu. Uh, uh, she's a young rising star, and she was recently in the the, the Amazon Prime series Underground Railroad. Um, as you know, and and more recently, she was one of the main characters in The Woman King, with Viola Davis. And so right from right there, it's like there, there's this kind of you kind of recognize that. This strength, this young actress, this young woman has, as to to make these characters, these believable um, young freedom fighters, they perfectly attune that to this to this character Annette in the series Castlevania, where she's uh, fighting back against the vampire her vampire masters and her slave masters, who are one and the same. Again, it's the allegory of the, of the vampire being uh, kind of uh, adjusted here, tweaked here, and she's just so emotional and so raw, and it's like a, it's it's subdued what it needs to be. But also when it's time to kick ass, he's like he's like all about it. It's like you kind of you see the same shades of her fury and power and and, and nobility in things like Yonagami know, World and Woman King. They come off just as well here in animation, even though it's not physically her you're seeing on the screen. It's still her, the actress and the character coming to life. There's really really impressive stuff going on. And uh, and to that point and to that end, it's like a, again that's that extra element of not just the theological and not just the uh, cool vampire hunting thing. There's the actual that colonialism element of it all, like how, how the vampires attach themselves to those in power, but also the main, the main kind of uh, uh, plot point in this, this series that um, now they're going to have their vampire messiahs or and the, the, they're going to finally take over all of humanity, not just be kind of uh, in the shadows uh, as humans kind of uh, blithely live their lives. So yeah, just really, really, really interesting stuff, really interesting thematic stuff, and just uh, really, again, really fucking cool uh, vampires playing animation stuff going on here. Uh, yeah, and I just, oh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, uh, Frank, Frank Penitente, she's playing uh, Lady Bathory. This is kind of a, a, a stylized uh, uh, fantasy version of Lady Bathory, who, you know, I guess, in famous history, famously in history, had, uh, you know, captured young women and bathed in blood and so forth. So they kind of take that to the full extent where she's a full-on vampire goddess. And yeah, just really, really cool, like, dark evil shit going on, dark magic and, and, and like, and uh, ancient lore. Like, they, they 
in this world of this Castlevania universe, like gods and demons exist like tangibly, but also like it's not just like the Christian god, it's like also like a part of the next power base because you know there's like her her the spirit world, her African gods. She gets her 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 power, I guess, from the uh from the god of war and the god of uh, metalworking in Africa. Yeah, so it's a lot of stuff going on that's like using religion and using myth cultural uh, mythology and ideology uh as a great device for this cool story and um and yeah like i said uh probably the most impressive is all that uh it does get serious it does get like uh it's addressing our serious issues in our history slavery colonialism you know genocide um and you wouldn't what is still one being entertaining but two, taking those things seriously and like using them to their fullest effect. Um, so one of one of the other characters that um, here is a uh, also 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 in the games, but maybe as a bigger role. But he definitely gets a bigger role here. Is uh, Allrox? He's a vampire, uh, he, and he's a played by the uh, Native American Zen McLaren. So the character Allrox in this version of the, of the anime series is an Aztec vampire, and he gets his his story about how his people were wiped away by the. the, the uh, colonists too, you know, like, and so this all intertwines the whole history of, of subjugation, slavery, predation upon humans, upon other people, and how the kind of the vampire stuff rolls into that too. So yeah, and, and it's, it's again, it's, it's serious and it's well-informed. You can tell that they research some of this stuff, but, it's, and just the same though, it's also just so fucking fun. It's a really good time. And I, I really highly recommend uh, this new season of Castlevania um, Nocturne. Uh, I hope to make a lot more. I have to get on the, get on the whole family tree because like, there's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of source material that they get to pull from. Uh, and it's you know, and that's the thing I like, got uh, people even with that character change and that you know she's a, a black vampire hunter, and I guess in the game she was just another Euro European. So of course you're gonna have the fanboys crying, oh they changed the they did the uh, what do they call it the race swapping or the the race race beating whatever the fuck. And it's like <laughs> one you're you're a dickhead, but two like it actually makes it literally makes the story better. Like this stuff isn't just like inclusion points. It's actually like enriching the story you love to make it even better. So like, you know, it's, it's a win. It's 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 a win for everybody for concerned, you know, representation wise and just storytelling wise. Like this is like really fascinating stuff. And so yeah, one of my favorite shows of the year so far. Um, one of my favorite series of the past decade. You know, that that's at the fifties and now. So yeah, it's really entertaining stuff. Really solid work all around. Nice, nice. Yeah, you've got definitely got me hyped for it. Um, also, I just want to tag on that again. Yeah, anybody that uses the term race swap, that's an instant block for me. Uh, <laughs> I've done it, done it before, and I will do it again. So, actually, blocked a uh, blocked a, lo a long time follower, long time mutual of mine a few months ago because he dropped that bullshit in my timeline, and I was like, <laughs> nope, done, not doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just it happened, you know. See, like, see, today we're shopping today because now I'm the host. Today I'm the host. <laughs> Avery, race swapping champions. Uh, anyway, so on to the next next item. <laughs> that might be the title. That might have to be the title of our episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, race swap is where it's at. All right, so next item. Um, keeping in the animation role. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe you guys were excited about this, but at the same time, I understand why, because I was excited about it. Uh, this past weekend, or uh, in this past week, the uh, new, uh, the new, the best superhero movie of the year, uh, <laughs> Paw Patrol, 
the mighty movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love this shit. Yeah, so everybody, anybody who has kids or is at least aware of kids entertainment or kids programming, know that the Patrol is this whole this um massive franchise at this point of kids shows and 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 now movies with these. Well, they're talking dogs, talking puppies that drive fire trucks. That's kind of the gist of it. <laughs> like they're uh, they're emergency workers, emergency first responders. And it's like a little fun kitty world setting, and like the dog, the puppies, the dogs, the Paw Patrol, they um they save the day. They put out fires and they, they rescue people from burning buildings, or and they they arrest the bad guys and such. And um, yeah, <laughs> I it's so funny because I, I, as I'm describing this show, you know, there's been this again some of the stupid online criticism of Paw Patrol, like uh, it's propaganda because people say that it's um indoctrinating kids to like uh have a uh, a unjudged or unbiased uh, prediction towards authority, towards law enforcement, and so forth. <laughs> you say it out loud, it's so fucking stupid. But like, I understand why that would be a that's a concern because you know, especially like, like let me let's make no mistake, you know, cops fucked up. Like you know, like this in the in the reality of what we see in law enforcement. And who is who they target? I guess you could say there is a very real reason to be have suspicion and caution against any um, any apparatus of of the state. I get it. I understand. I was one too. I get it. <laughs> In the first movie, the mayor is like this uh, climate denier, like fake billionaire guy, and the and the publisher arrests him for uh, negligence, uh, criminal negligence. And and uh, destruction of duty and, uh, and putting people in danger, like the puppies arrest Trump when we couldn't do that shit in real life. Like this is the fucking this is the this is the property. This is the show. Like it's not the 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 pup show is about um, empowering kids to believe to have them believe that they can make a difference in their world in a, in a real tangible way. That's the kind of the whole idea. Like these little puppies driving the cars around, they're still being active members of the community, active members of society. And doing good things to help other people. That's like it's the, it's the whole like part of the matter of it all. Everything else is kind of is kind of tangent, t- tangential to it. So yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to point that out because it's, I, that's been so funny to me. It continues, continues to be hilarious to me that uh, people are so mad about Paw Patrol. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna brainwash the youth. It's <laughs> fucking. They drive the they drive the car. You know how they drive the car? They put the paws on the little monitor, and the monitor has on the dashboard. And the dashboard has like the, their paw prints on it. That's how they drive. <laughs> Your kids like get brainwashed by the puppy drive the forest truck. It's okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And so in this one, um, which I, I don't know, I haven't I've never seen the, the show itself, the television show proper. So and I assume this is the now part of it as well. But uh, basically, um, they the, now these puppies get superhero powers. Uh, the whole scenario is uh, a meteor from space crashes into onto Earth. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole cool, like actually a pretty cool action disaster sequence about that. Um, it just, and it destroys their um the, the publisher base, but then they find these uh, mystical rocks in the meteorite, and it gives them powers. You know, pretty, pretty it's, it's like five year olds, pretty straightforward. It's easy to get, easy to grasp. And so, but then they had a, a super villain, uh, mad scientist, who then realizes what's what's happening, and so she got tries to, uh, she then goes on her plan to capture the publisher and get their get their powers for herself. So she can destroy the world because the world has been, has been mean to her. That's really it. That's really 
again, so five-year-old people, they, they get, they understand these feelings very well. Uh, so yeah, and, and one of the cool things that is that the movies, so these movies, they're actually really, they're pretty fucking good, like for any, all ages. Like, yes, they're very simple, like basic narrative where young children are gathered, but like, yo, this is action fact, me. That's why, like, <laughs> they be blowing shit up in these movies. Uh, in the first movie, there's a whole thing, uh, there's a, there's a tower that's a collapsing tower. And uh, I, I put this on, I'm going to a video of this. Um, it kind of resembles the Batman versus Superman scene where the guy is trapped in the building and it's falling down. Uh, and, and Bruce Wayne goes runs to try to save him, but he can't. They, they do a scene parallel to that where he even has, uh, what's his name? Chase, the, the, the cop puppy. He has this cool, like, uh, his his cop car turns into an armored car, turns into a motorcycle, just like how Batman and the Dark Knights did. Turns it to the uh, the bat cycle, whatever. It's just it's just action packed shit going on. It's fucking talking dog movies. <laughs> it's like like uh, I saw this uh, a few years ago, the first one a few years ago. Well, with my with my friends who have a have a at the time a six year old, and I'm like, like they were like we, they were they told me we cannot believe what we're seeing. You have to watch this with us. So so like yeah, like it's really like the animation is, is these are not cheap movies. These are, these are not cash ins like they just like, they just spit out. There's a lot of like. Attention to detail in the animation, in the voice acting, and in the in the, uh, the set pieces, the, the, the production design, like uh, because I, as I said, the puppies they're technically they're um, first responders, like emergency uh, riders. So what it is is like it's almost like they're um, disaster films. It's like if uh, the Tim and Dale Rescue Rangers cartoon from back in the nineties was also a, a disaster film. Like these cute, cute, cute animals, they're here to help help save the day. But like shit is like burning on fire. Like, oh my god, help! <laughs> like, and you know, it is, they 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 get that level of drama and tension. Like, you know, the people still need like, is it still an emergency? It's still like a dangerous situation. So here's the, the puppies like do using their skills now to help save the day, help people out. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting how it's like, the quality involved in these like again these seemingly simple uh, for kids movies. Like, you know, I, I, when I saw the Super Mario movie uh, earlier this year. You know, made, made a billion dollars, whatever, you know, it's people like people love Mario, kids love Mario, never gonna not love Mario. But it was just empty as fuck to me. Like it was like like here's the the character running around and, and here's the action sequence and here's Donkey Kong and like that's it. It wasn't anything to it, other than you know, I love my brother. That like, you know, but that's simple enough. Like the actual like I don't know. Uh I'm a, <laughs> like actual like a moral imperative to these kind of movies like this like they have these lessons they have these values but they're not like um not quite there's not like veggie tales like in your face like moralizing it's just very simple like it's almost like yeah almost like baby first like civics lesson it's like how does how does one help and be a part of society properly and that's kind of what these people are doing like they even when like at one point when the characters get captured by the, by the mad scientists and like they try to appeal to reason and appeal to like uh, because the the scientist like has been shunned by society, and so has the the puppy that let's say the sky is one of the main characters. The, the, the sky, the puppy who flies flies airplanes. <laughs> so cool. Like they, they it's kind of like you know I don't know what it's like to be um this disvalued or you know looked down upon because I'm too small or or different. You know you know various you know these very like kind of timeless lessons for kids. You know but you got to hold up for one second. So. The the cop puppy's name is Chase, mm -hmm. and the puppy who flies is named Sky. Yeah, we really are dealing with five year olds as the target audience <laughs> for this, right? Like this is really is 
Like <laughs> the, the firefighter dog name is Marshall, as in fire marshal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Got it. <laughs> but you know, again, like it's it's but you know, like oh, and the, the, I know the, authors who use subtext and they're cowards. <laughs> exactly. Is he a construction dog? His name is Rubble, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but also, um, it's cool because then, then they kind of their um, their departments translate into their superpowers when they, when they when they get powers. Like the the fire dog can like make fire. Then the water dog can like control water. I be become water. Uh, then the sky can fly. It also has superpowers, super strength. Um, Chase becomes super fast because he's, he's Chase. Get it? Um, and it's actually it's so funny that this is like kind of a spoiler or. That's kind of a reveal of the sixth dog power. Oh, by the way, in the first movie, they added a new character to the to the team, uh, Liberty, um, played by the great uh, my star Martin. She was uh, she grew up uh, with the, uh, the on the Blackish show, but now she's like uh, doing her own thing like, as producer and like actress in her own right. You know, she's one like one of the youngest um, executive producers of all time. You know, really really great stuff as as, as an actress in Hollywood. But yeah, so they have a, they, they added that character in the six, the sixth character, the sixth man, the sixth ranger. In the uh, first movie, and like her, her power is just like a she's street smart. It's, it's like it's really, it's really funny. Like that, they, the the publisher at one point they were like kind of lost. Like they needed help navigating the cities, but she's like, I know the way. She come on, follow me. Like she has like so like her like her kind of skill is like um this uh jack of all trades like flexibility kind of thing. But like well, and I guess the point for the kids is like a uh, be adaptable to situations. Like sometimes things won't go to plan, so you got to be be able to like adjust things to like help help out people and help save the day. That's like that's kind of her like her moral uh point to her character, you know. So yeah, again, as I, as I, as I'm saying this out loud, I am sound insane. But like no that's that's emphasizes that's emphasizing that the um the amount of actual thought and care that goes into these these shows, these movies, like like they actually like you know studied and like it's like it's not just like garbage being speeded for it's not just uh dangling keys in front of a baby. It's like they're actually like trying to like promote thought and growth in the kids while having make have a good time with the the fun puppies, you know, eating cookies and stuff, whatever. So yeah, um I fucking loved it. Like the more I think about the movie, the more I love it. Like similar to the uh the Sean the Motherfucking Sheep movies. Like that shit, that's some Sean the Motherfucking Sheep, that is a gangster ass movie series. That sheep do not play. Don't don't fuck you think the fast Dom Turtle family, no, that's not a family. Sean the Sheep, his his crew that's a fucking family. That motherfucker went to space and saved the day for his family. But he didn't even know. A strange alien he never even knew. He was like, you know what? I got you, buddy. Yes. Come on, fucking sheep. Paw Patrol. This is this is real entertainment. Real quality, value, value for your money entertainment. Whether you got kids or not. Well, I mean, don't be, don't be like me. Don't be a creep like me. Like, go see Paw Patrol if you're alone by yourself with with the families and kids around. Don't do that. <laughs> but but I'm I'm just here to like spread the gospel. Like you know that uh these are good movies <laughs> and good for the kids, you know, and you know, a positive thing for kids' experience. It's not it's not just it's not simple brain watching, it's not it's just like uh not just empty flashes and flashes and lights. It's like actually like trying to like help promote the the growth, mental growth at least of kids, like you know, like have them think about what they are doing in in the in the world they live in. Well, you know, again, talking dogs, fire trucks, hey, anyone. Oh God! Um, I uh, yeah. 
Vice out here, he's he's pimping the copaganda. We're all about copaganda <laughs> on this show. Um, <laughs> for those of you who know me, you know I work tangentially related to law enforcement, and I will just simply say that I have spent 20 years in my career working tangentially with law enforcement, and I have yet to meet one law enforcement officer who has said, I'm a cop because of fucking Paw Patrol. Um, <laughs> now, the number of law enforcement officers I have met who said they're a cop because they want the legal authority to beat people up is a far greater number than you would like to know. So if we could maybe redirect our anger about how these things work, that would be great. That would be awesome. Let the little puppy <laughs> save the day. Okay. Can we, can we not come for the little, the little fire marshal puppy? I think, I think it's okay. <laughs> yes. Very, very, very well said. Uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah but, but seriously, like, like I said, like, like if you're, if you have a kid, young kids, you take them to movies, like you're going to, you're going to have fun too. Like it's actually, it's that level of like quality. Like it's not just, it's not just like, you, you just take them and scream right off. It's like, I see good, like engaging storytelling. Even as even as the most basic form, it's still like, hey, you know what? I mean, honestly, like I said, I wasn't joking when I said like this is better than like the Flash. It's better than um, Ant Man three. Like, just on a basic storytelling level, storytelling fundamentals, it kind of clears a lot of stuff that we get, we get shown in theaters for for mainstream audiences. So hey, that that's that's where that's where we're at, you know. <laughs> there, there is a there is a there is a wonderful simplicity, you know. It, it, it it's the same thing kind of except its audience got super crazy but you know steven universe when it was so popular uh 10 years ago before its fan base went plum fucking loco um there is a beautiful simplicity to the storytelling in children's television and movies you know and in a lot of ways if you've got a show that understands that their target audience is five-year-olds like it sounds like paw patrol does but does not talk down to that audience of five-year-olds and understands that they're actually capable of grasping far headier concepts than we as adults tend to think they are um it, it really a lot of times they do have a really nice way of just paring down a story to its most basic functional elements. And and there's there's a nice simplicity in that. I obviously I can't speak to Paw Patrol, but I mean I, you know, there's a dozen other kids shows that you can you can bring that up with that 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 you say, you know, can even that do that. So it doesn't actually surprise me that you like this as much as you do. It, it just sounds like it's good at what it does. Exactly that. Yeah. So another similar thing uh I show adventure time, which has been on for like quite a while now. And so, like a lot of kids who saw it when it first came out, are now like twenty-something-year-olds, and they're still watching it because the storytelling—it's like it's a whole like massive epic at this point. It's like it's like a it's a whole like background story about like a an apocalypse and like a um, all these strange creatures in this adventure time world, and it's really like really fascinating stuff. Like I didn't realize like all this time I was like I thought this about about a adult that stretches, you know? I thought it was like a just fun little like adventure show, but like no, it, it is and it is that. There's like so much going on with that. The whole like that the kids can understand and grasp and follow this lore they had going on. Really cool. The thing that I love about I'm gonna blow some smoke up your ass here for a second. The thing that I love about the way you talk about Paw Patrol, and is the thing that I hate about the way most people talk about children's television or movies. 
Um, and, and why I hate the fan bases for shows like Adventure Time, like um, Steven Universe, like even Avatar The Last Airbender, is because you still talk about Paw Patrol with the idea that its target audience is five to eight-year-olds, right? And you understand that. I really hate the idea that we have to somehow justify, you know, you you mentioned Avatar The Last Airbender to somebody, and the very first thing they're going to say is, well, it's, you know, it's really mature for a kid's show, and there's all sorts of stuff going on, and people die, and all. Dude, it's still a fucking kid's show. It's a great kid's show. It's one of my favorite things of all time yeah. there's no shame in watching something for kids and being like dude this is badass you don't need to justify yourself by trying to make it something that it's not and being like well the lore of steven universe is really the most amazing thing and like you know there's really it's really not even aimed for kids it's fucking aimed. have you seen the animation style it's aimed at fucking kids like it's okay. It's okay to just be like, it's for kids and I still like it. Nothing wrong with that. And I love that's how you talk about Paw Patrol. You don't try and crouch it in like there's some deep, like you do, you say it's got more going on than what you think and it's got high level animation, but you're still not trying to justify the fact that you like this show made for fucking five-year-olds. You're just like, <laughs> I like this show made for fucking five-year-olds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, kind of similar thing with um, the Star Wars thing, like uh Kind of that famous uh, thing that Patrick talked to Alfred Patrick Collins, uh, one of his very, very many married videos. It's a movie about space wizards for children. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I, I quote that all the time. Yeah, but then on the, on the same token, though, when you have stuff like Andor, which is decidedly not for children, like very clearly in its intent, it's like, oh, okay, like that's one of the cool things about Star Wars that that I, I can tell by being only being a casual fan is that. That's one of those things where they just they they purposely said, okay, we can we have these what forty plus fifty years of lore and stories. We can actually target our universes to different audiences for that. So you know, Andor again, not a, not a kids show, very much like for like older adults or fans of like espionage shows and Cold War stuff. Like it's it's that template, but it's still in the same universe as the fucking uh, Yoda, the magical space frog doing magic tricks. Like it's still that same like, universe. But like that's part of the fun of it. That's part of the fun of Star Wars. You can just do crazy stuff if you want to. Which, again, which I think they should do more often. They should kind of. I mean, one of the criticisms of the this uh, newer uh, regime of Star Wars, whatever, they 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 have the template to expand it to do a bunch of different things. They kind of keep going back towards the whole like family tree stuff. But you know, again, that's you can have the the property. You don't have to be a slave to the property. You can just enjoy the stories as they come, as they. As they suit you, as they are made for you, or or not for you even, like you know, I, I, with the new one Ahsoka, as we talked about in the previous episode, that that was born from a kids show, a kids cartoon, but now it's a big live action series. So like kind of a weird, a weird, uh, a weird uh, uh, tension in that. But you know, again, it's this. Again, I, I think that's part of fun too. Like you know, it's seeing where this effectively would make a live action big budget show out of a cartoon like that. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Now I want to do a live action gritty reboot of Paw Patrol where it takes place like 10 years later. Chase Chase is a broken down alcoholic because he accidentally killed somebody on the job. Marshall has PTSD because he was trapped in a burning building and didn't think he was going to make it out. And then the Paw Patrol have long been broken up, but but you know something happens and they have to come back together and reform the unit while working through all their trauma. Dude, this shit writes itself. Folks, we're giving you this for free here on the A4E podcast. This shit writes itself. Well, you know what? Honestly, as it, as it happens, as you have seen the first movie, there actually is a plot point. Chase does have PTSD 
because he's he at one point he feels he fails so he gets like stuck like he's stuck trying to save Ryder the 10 year old boy who commands the Paw Patrol <laughs> dude I just about spit my drink all over my monitor holy shit you see what I'm telling like again this is stuff like this is they know kids are smart they, they, they get this shit you know like they, they like they they play it up like yeah you know like that is a whole meme joke whatever with the what was it the the Puss in Boots movie that came out last year where like he had like a panic attack and people were like this is the most realistic, realistic depiction of a panic attack I've ever seen. But the fucking it's a, it's a, a fucking talking cat, you know. Like, but people, like you said, people were taking it so seriously as it's like really like deep emotional thing. And I mean, it is, but like it's meant for a kid to understand what that feels like. And that's what you know. That's it's not meant for you as a twenty-five year old going through shit in life without like with a low-paying job and a sky high rent. It's not for you to vent your frustration. It's for the kids to know what it's like. To have to go through a hard time. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we just sometimes we get so taken off guard when something like that does. And I, and it goes back to that point that I was making. I think it's about the simplicity of the storytelling. I think the reason Puss and Boots resonated with so many people the way it does is because something, you know, as somebody who suffers from debilitating panic attacks, I still did not lose sight of the fact that it was a talking cat. Um, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I see so many bad representations of panic attacks on in movies and TV shows. And I think it's because they either try and get clever or they're written by people that don't know what they actually feel like or whatever. And so I think, again, sometimes that that pared down, because like you said, it's so pared down because it is designed for an eight year old to understand what panic attacks are and what PTSD is. It's designed because, as we know, kids suffer these things at at earlier ages than we ever uh, imagined you know um like i i learned you know in therapy that like i i thought i started getting panic attacks when i was an adult because i thought stuff that made me uncomfortable was just me being uncomfortable and my therapist was like no no you were having panic attacks at like the age of six great awesome thanks mom and dad (laughs) um but but you know, because I always say the best depiction of a panic attack I've ever seen is actually in season one of Ted Lasso. Um, and then they actually fuck it up. They do so well in season one and then they fuck it up in season two. Um, but <laughs> but I think that it resonates with people in that. But then you're right. People go crazy about it. They 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 again, they lose sight of that. It's a movie about space wizards for children. Like, yes, they, they can be stuff that resonates with you, but just it's still for fucking kids man it's fine there's no shame in that like as liam always you know i i'm not liam liam's always like i'm not watching that fucking cartoon like i watch cartoons all the time but like <laughs> they're still cartoons guys yeah i don't know why this is bugging me so much this week but it, it's it, it is but anyway enough well, of that, that ranting yeah so that all said let's get some real adult shit some hardcore shit for the, for the big people uh the next feature we have to talk about uh this is uh the latest action film from Actually, Chinese action director Herman Yao. This is a Moscow mission. And boy, I'll tell you what, just right up front, this is an action movie ass action movie. It's like this shit is like a breakneck pace, does not stop the action. Um, yeah, so and uh, so apparently, this is uh, based on a true story insofar as uh, in 1993, where the movie takes place, there was this pretty serious um train robbery on a um on a line between uh Beijing and Moscow. Um, a, a, a gang of thugs, uh, well, pretty well, well organized thugs, 
or took a whole train hostage or and got got so much money. And so China to kind of um to save face and avoid an international incident, sent a special task force of Chinese uh, uh, officers and bureau bureau uh, uh, personnel to Russia to apprehend the the Chinese uh, uh, gangsters, criminals. Um, so yeah, so so that all said, like uh, I haven't looked too much further into the um, real story behind the, the movie, but just kind of on its face, it, it, being a Chinese action movie and a Herman, Herman Yang movie, like I'm kind of assuming that a lot of this is like a heightened bullshit for the sake of action, which is fine because the action here is fucking great. Um, there's, you know, it, it's typical of a lot of modern Chinese blockbusters, uh, especially being Chinese funded, government funded one, you know, the, the whole propaganda thing again. Um, there is a bit of um, wonky CGI, wonky effects, but at the same time, there is still plenty of actual, uh, like tangible, um, real, realistic action, like uh, cars. Like I said, there's gun gunfights and and kung fu and stabbings and multiple car chases, multiple car crashes and pileups and vehicular mayhem, motorbike stunts. Uh, the train itself, the whole train sequence is is dope. Uh, a fucking a Russian jet explodes at one point. It's like it's like it goes off. This <laughs> shit is wild, man. And uh, yeah, so the main two stars here, um, the great, of course, Andy Lau. Uh, you know, heartthrob slash great dramatic actor um, who kind of gets in, wrapped up in this whole uh, um, ordeal with the uh, the heist crew. Um, but also, um, I have to shout out to uh, Han Yu Zhang. Uh, now, people probably, his name isn't probably as recognizable to uh, Western audiences, but, you know, he himself has received much acclaim in, in, in China. Uh, he's been in things like uh, Taking a Tiger Mountain, Operation uh, Mekong, and the sequel, Operation, Operation uh, uh, Red Sea. Um, he's kind of, he's kind of, uh, really dependable action lead. Um, he doesn't always do action per se, but when he does, it's like really, he sells it, you know, he's like, he almost kind of reminds me of uh, the same kind of spirit of like a uh, Bruce Willis in his prime. He's just so dependable and like, so like a, just a grav gravitational like presence that he, he kind of commands respect and, and awe. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not a big guy. He's not a big guy. He's not a imposing figure per se, but just like his presence alone. He's really he's the guy he's the guy you bring in when you need to add some gravitas to the uh to the to the youngins you know he's the one that you bring in when you need you need some weight uh behind what's going on. I mean Andy Lau is too but like you you know when you pair um when you pair Zhang up with with like like they did in Operation Mekong Mekong where you pair him up with like Eddie Pang who's this yeah. young fresh faced up and coming guy it really does create a nice dynamic um yeah. that, that works really well yeah so with that so one of the things i noticed in the movie as i mentioned before the, the the pace like it is quite literally like honestly um at, at certain points i kind of got lost in the story points because it moves so fast uh like, like maybe perhaps a combination of like both the uh subtitles going fast but also just a plot itself like this thing do not stop the movie like like literally every five minutes is either a gunfight or a stabbing or an explosion like, like I, you can set your watch to it literally like it's that it's that Ongoing, it's that cranked up. So I guess I, I want to ask you, Micah, because you know you're a little more familiar with the uh, Herman Yao's filmography. So is, and I, I have seen, uh, I have seen um, White Storm too, and I, which I really loved. Uh, it was kind of like a cool, like a, a gangster movie becomes a Batman movie. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, but like, is his style like this normally, or is this kind of? Well, I don't know if you haven't seen it, but like um, what I'm describing, this is kind of like on nonstop pace. Is that kind of his thing? So yeah, so Herman Yao is one of the most fascinating directors in Chinese history. Um, the only Western director I can compare him to is Peter Jackson. 
And, and the reason for that is because Yao got his start as the king of the Cat 3 thriller. For people who don't know, the Chinese, the old Hong Kong rating system was based on categories. So you had like category two movies were basically general audience. Category two B were basically the equivalent of kind of like R-rated, um, but they typically didn't have nudity in them. And then Cat 3 were, we don't really have an equivalent rating. They were, they were DTV ratings, essentially. They were, they were the sleaze. They were, they were meant for adults only, but they were the sleazy movies. They, they, there were high brow ones, but they were all those fucked up Hong Kong movies that you hear about from the golden age were Cat 3 movies. And Herman Yao was the, I think the undisputed king of the Cat 3 movies. He burst onto the scene. He he directed a few movies before, but he really burst onto the scene with The Untold Story, which if people haven't seen it is 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 one of the pinnacles, one of the foundations of classic Hong Kong cinema. Stars Anthony Wong as a as a guy who runs a restaurant <clears throat> that he cooks humans into his pork buns. Uh and then he went on to do Taxi Hunter, which is kind of like a a fucked up version of falling an even more fucked up version of falling down uh he did the ebola syndrome which again is anthony wong just in full psychotic mode so he's this gross gritty edgy director and then over the years he's turned into one of the most dependable blockbuster directors in all of china um he he successfully transitioned after the takeover into the mainland uh started really doing a lot more cinematography working with people like benny chan a lot and dante lamb and guys like that which is how he ended up sort of in this action arena and yes now he is essentially kind of the michael bay of of chinese blockbusters in terms of his movies are uh, very fast paced, very hyper kinetic, very stylized. Uh, he cranks them out like nobody's business. I mean, I, he had three movies in, in 2023 alone. Uh, um, and they are by and large entertaining. Um, I haven't seen his last few. The most recent one of his I've seen was Shockwave 2, which I thought was an incredibly fast paced, enjoyable uh thriller action movie as well um but this is what he does um so it doesn't surprise me too much now when you work as prolifically as he does they are not gonna be all winners he's he's got plenty of absolute stinkers out there in fact i would argue that shockwave one uh shockwave one and two are unrelated uh it's that chinese thing that they do same names same actors but totally different movies um shockwave one was kind of almost like a I don't know. It was it was dull. I didn't like it. Shockwave 2, they went crazier and it was a lot more entertaining. So the White Storm 2, a lot of fun. I've heard good things about White Storm 3, which came out as well this year. So yes, this is sounds I have not seen Moscow Mission yet, but this sounds very much like what Herman Yao is doing now. Um, he's bringing that because even his old Cat 3 movies were really kinetic. They were they were so much more the only word I can think of is verve. They had so much more verve than a lot of his contemporaries in the cat three arena. Um, and he's brought that sensibility to his blockbusters. Uh, so he's a very unique director in that regard. Um, as opposed to some of the other big, you know, like, I don't think he's got the talent to do a blockbuster that say somebody like Wu Jing does in terms of 
scope and scale and stuff like that but i think he's a lot more entertaining in a lot of ways uh, i certainly find his movies to be more entertaining than god forbid me for saying this than what Choi hawk has been doing lately you know <laughs> I, I think herman yao has has a um he still hasn't lost that edge it, while still kind of working in the this, you know, as as we know, the oppressive mainland Chinese system, the again, as we always point out, people want to talk about fucking propaganda and Western movies, watch more Chinese movies like like, you know, and but he's still managed to kind of maintain a little bit of his bite, uh, which I think is uh, like a perfect example. The entire plot of Shockwave 2 is that Andy Lau is a it's been a while since I've seen it, but if I remember right, he is a a former terrorist who's brought in to track down uh, a new terrorist and, and the entire drama is is Andy Lau going to be a good guy or a terrorist again uh so I mean it's it's a little you know again it's still a glossy Chinese blockbuster but it's edgier than what you're expecting from a Chinese blockbuster to have a main character that's that conflicted when you know most Chinese blockbusters require their main characters to you know Wu Jing it up and and toe the party line so um yeah, I'm excited to see this one. It was playing in one theater locally, but I just didn't I didn't make it out. I'm sure it's going to end up most of Herman Yao's movies end up on Haya. Uh so I'm sure it'll probably end up there at some point. But I I can't recommend this one specifically, but I can recommend people if you're unfamiliar with Herman Yao, just start diving into his filmography. It is varied, it is wild, and if you watch this and untold story back to back much like if you watch lord of the rings and meet the feebles back to back you will not <laughs> understand how they are the same director it's going to be the same thing for herman Yao. yeah and to your point about the andy Lau performance um did, did you play into that somewhat um in this because he's still like a he has a, pa a past uh, not necessarily like he has a past history is some criminal activity so they kind of like play with that too like uh is he actually a bad guy good guy um he's definitely sympathetic um whereas for the most part, though, this Moscow mission is very much black and white. Like these, the gang, the bad guys, they're fucking fucked up dudes, and the cops are noble, altruistic, badass dudes too. Um, and yeah, but and also to your point, like uh, this gets pretty mean and nasty at times. Uh, lots of well, not lots of, but um, several points, plot points of um, sexual assault and violence against women. Yeah, the women, the women get get it pretty bad in this movie actually, yeah, as far as like uh, violence is concerned. But you know, that, that's kind of like where the the world that this. He's in it's still like a gangster ass movie too. So it's kind of about these guys are all scumbags. So it's like they kind of play into that. Just you know, just a fair warning people kind of sister that stuff. You know, not, not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely plays in those waters. Um but again to the effect of that it's, it's a hardcore like gangster action ass movie. And that's kind of where where Ted's at. Um and like I said like it just, the, the and the action is the fighting is like really brutal and and crisp and everything and uh but yeah and also um it being in, in Moscow and um me not me not having the uh, specific historical or cultural context of Chinese Russian relations at the time or even now, um, they you don't have to know that stuff though because they, they do kind of make it clear enough what's happening. And so far as that um part of one of the the allies of the cops are like a, he does have a uh, well it, it's part of the plot of the movie a, a former KGB agent and now the FSB you know after the uh, the wall comes down. So like there's a there's actually a good bit of um. Espionage moments in this movie as well, like kind of figuring out who's who and uh who had who's tailing who, who recognizes who and so forth. But yeah, between that and like there's like a Russian gangster, uh Russian assassin actually, um on the that guy's end. So yeah, it's really cool like um spy stuff. Oh, well, not quite, but like a little bit of espionage stuff, uh going on with the uh, straightforward cops and robber stuff. 
so yeah, just yeah, really interesting thing. And um, I say it's like a little, little over two hours, two hours, four minutes there in your house. But yeah, this is it goes so fucking fast. Like this, things happen one after the other that you just kind of get lost and swept up in it. So you, so you really, you really feel the runtime. But yeah, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely do recommend seeing it. Um, my commission, like I said, um, more and more Chinese blockbusters are receiving state releases, uh, every each year. So yeah, just just look on you know a Fandango or your local local listings or your theater to see if it's around because if it is, you definitely want to take a chance to see it. Especially again, again in this um seemingly um kind of empty or blank um movie release weekend, um this is definitely one you want to check out in theaters. Yeah, and so with that, so, I do so, I do want to also just shout out one other one other um her old old Herman Yao movie. If you can track it down, it's 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 when he first actually this is like his second movie. It's called Best of the Best. It, it is one of the most like blatant like almost like uh, Top Gun type knockoffs, uh, but it's <laughs> awesome. It rules. And it came out, you know, right in the middle of the golden age. So yeah, Herman Yao, I wouldn't call him one of my favorite Hong Kong directors, but he's, he's a good one. I mean, he's up there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I can't, I can't encourage people, you included, seek out his filmography, find whatever you can. If anybody, if anybody needs some more recommendations, we got a lot of Hong Kong film fans in the Discord, so just uh, just hit us up in the Discord for some recs, and and we'll try and play again. Like a lot of Hong Kong movies, they're going to be the the newer ones are going to be easy to find, the older ones are going to be harder to track down, but they will be worth your time. Yeah. Oh, by the way, before I move on, just a shout out to a real early podcast. You know, our friends, they want you know, friends of the show because they actually reminded me that this, this movie was coming out in theaters this weekend. I had completely forgotten. Uh, I think uh, Derek, I man, Derek, shout out to Derek too. I posted a trailer of it uh, a couple months ago, and in about I kind of forgot about it. But yes, thanks for the reminder. That was definitely worth my time this weekend. This is a this is a great thing about the community. Like we have all these. That's part of why I put out that tweet in the first place. Like I wanted to see this wealth of knowledge we have about things upcoming or things in the, in the backlog or things hard to find. We got it all, man. Yeah, just, yeah. Join the Discord. That's where it's at. <laughs> so yeah, so I mentioned the theatrical releases, but so uh, the last thing for today. Is actually a Netflix release again back to like uh, uh, Castlevania, but this is a full-on full feature film. Um, this is a ballerina, it's a Korean kind of action thriller. Um, so I have really enjoyed this. Um, it's a kind of it's kind of the action thriller where the action is high end, but is not. It's it's reserved or uh, they save it for certain moments. It's not a full-on action last black musk commission per se it definitely takes its time with the mood and tone and the story uh so yeah and, and so so it kind of more on the uh kind of the uh equalizer uh spectrum of things as opposed to the john wick spectrum of things but i bring up the john wick point because um it is a very stylized movie ballerina it's um lots of neons and and cool lighting effects but also it's still but not quite that's it's not really aping the john wick aesthetic either it's more of a similar kind of um modern Korean take on neo-noir. Um, lots of interesting contrasted shadows. Um, this, overall, this is a very visually striking movie, actually. I mean, for one, it looks like a movie, even though, you know, again, that's the whole thing with uh, lots of Netflix films don't look like quote-unquote real movies. This is definitely a real a real motion picture. You know, f f fully digital, as you can tell, but um, they actually use it intelligently. Uh, the interesting ways of the contrast and lighting and um, the color palettes being used. Uh, like, for one example, like there's a, one of the characters, the ballerina char the character, their room is like really kind of cool, like 
dim pastel pink that kind of matches their aesthetic. But with those like uh, those like, but it's still like a identifiably a young girl's room. Uh, the, the cool like a uh, holograph star uh, lighting. You know, just very each set piece, each uh, each 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 moment of muscle scene, whatever, is very detailed and very very specific to get that emotion to get a thing. So all around, it's a very visually interesting film. It's not just like drab or or, or not just focusing on the action. And um, but with that though, I also even this um the camera angles, the camera work itself, it's, it's more often than not in this in this movie um the camera is askew or placed in a specific distinct way that's, that's never quite straightforward. But even though when there are straightforward shots like close-ups, even those are very kind of distinct and, and visually um, arresting. But yeah, just, uh, yeah, just, uh, I just, just before we get to the movie itself, it's like uh, just as a visual um, art, art form, I'm just really, I'm really, I'm always happy when streaming movies look like real movies. You know, there's no, there's no way to say it. Like it looks like they put the work and craft and time into like actually making a presentable feature. So that said, um, so the movie itself, uh, because well, it's kind of the plot of the point. So not really spoiler, but um, the ballerina is actually not the title of the character; it is one of the characters in the movie, and that character um passes away; she dies, and so it then becomes incumbent upon the the main character, uh, Ok Chu. She's a uh, like a former bodyguard to get revenge for for the sake of the ballerina against this uh, evil uh criminal uh. Drug human trafficking crew syndicate um, that that she got in, that the ballerina got embroiled in the first place. So yeah, just uh, so kind of so in that regard, it's a very straightforward um, action revenge kind of thriller. But again, it's mostly more about the vibe and tone and just the just the, the aesthetic of it all. But again, along with that, just really really cool, really well well crafted high end action. Um, so the main character, the the, the bodyguard Okju, this is a uh, John Jungso. Who I think most famously, at least for American audiences, she's one of the main characters in uh, *Burning*, the 2018 film, the 2018 drama. And so, yeah, she acquits herself really well to doing doing this straight up action. But but part of like I, like I mentioned, because of the vibe, the aesthetic, part of the um, the grab of it all is that in that in the movie *Burning*, there's a lot of like slow uh, pacing and frozen imagery, almost like uh, you're just kind of uh, hypnotized by the imagery. And particularly in the case of that, that character in that movie. This uh, mysterious, beautiful woman. She's kind of, you just kind of, you can just sit back and like just kind of gawk at her, which is kind of part of the part of the point of that movie, and just kind of be entranced because she's just, she's just still like uh, alluring. So they use that that her her kind of natural charisma that way to great effect in this movie. Lots of again, lots of like really um really deliberate um, close ups and kind of I, I guess I, I, long, longing longing stares. And this main character because she she just looks so cool. Like that's the movie is cool above, above all else. This is a cool ass movie. The vibe and the the, the music even it's, it's a really interesting. Um, not quite K-pop. It's like more of a K the Korean style of K-pop R and B. That sounds very similar to our modern R and B. Um, it's just a really high vibe movie, and she just looks she, and she just looks she just looks cool doing it. Um, yeah, she's like yeah, she's like yeah, lots of. Again, like that kind of I mentioned neo noir, like that uh, as opposed to jazz or whatever, like it's just pretty people being pretty, but also doing like really cool hardcore gangster shit. It's just a really really good time with that. And um, yeah, much of the actions, it's uh, when it happens, one of the other things that people kind of like complain about in action films is that you know like uh, the whole thing about the uh, oh she's just like a, a a thin girl, she can't do actual action. But uh, first of all, it's a movie, it's, it's fake, not real. But also they uh, they do kind of 
take into consideration um, that kind of that point about her being uh, unassuming that she's just, like this beautiful, almost like model looking kind of woman. So you wouldn't you don't expect her to like be a fucking ferocious lioness. That that's part of the part of the appeal, part of the draw, part of the process of how the action works. Like she's just kind of unexpectedly be unexpectedly just like raging demon. Oh, that's really cool. So yeah, yeah. I, again, just, overall, it's a really really cool movie. Looks cool. Sounds cool, feels cool. The action is cool. Um, the cat, all the actors, they are fucking they're gorgeous. Um, yeah, just it is a total vibes with the movie, but it's not that nothing to get lost in. It's a very simple plot you can follow. Uh, doesn't take too long, an hour, hour, 30 minutes, just over an hour and a half. And it gets in, gets out, not gets in, lets you enjoy the vibe, gives you the solid action, and you have a nice, and cool event story at, at the end of the day. Yeah, just you know, you can't ask much more. Yeah, so again, so uh, I won't say much more than that. I was uh, on Netflix now, came out this weekend, and really worth the time. Again, like I, I know people have a lot of strong well, version, aversion, and also like a disinterest in stream movies, but like whenever they actually hit, it's, it's worth the effort. So I definitely want to take advantage if you have Netflix still, or if, if, if you're buying somebody's account, still show that with a uh, lockdown on soon, <laughs> you, you use it while you can and watch uh, the Bellion. It's really, it's really fun. Nice, nice. Yeah, I don't have much to add because I haven't I haven't watched it. Um, so, but again, you got me excited to watch it. Maybe I'll try and catch it tonight. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, like I said, an hour and a half, so not too not too much of a you know, depending on how your day goes, not too much of a big, big investment. You know, it's definitely a cool thing to catch her. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so uh, like I said, I wanted to uh, not keep us too long. So I think that's all I have on the docket for today. We do uh, have we do have a couple of advice questions that ah. popped in. So um, you want me to want me to just read them to you here? Well, yeah. yeah. Just so, so people know, um, as I was reporting, the, as as I started recording, I put out the uh, last minute call for advice. So now we're doing the uh, live on the air, not really sort of uh, advice for you and the peoples. So yeah, Mike, please take us away. What, what do you got first? Okay, so the first one is from uh, uh, the former uh, co-host of the show, once and future co-host of the show, Aaron Vargas. Uh, he says, uh, how does someone want, how does someone get to be as cool and fly as you asking for a friend? <laughs> well, the secret is, which is not a secret is I'm boring as fuck. Like, actually we were, we were talking about this off mic earlier. Um, I am a 40 year old, like old, like uncle, I'm tired. My knees hurt. I'm, I'm boring. I want to stay home at night. And, but I think that. And well, I have had a pretty interesting life, all things considered. Um, if you want to call it that interesting, maybe that's a, maybe you have a stronger connotation for what I've done before. But I've seen a lot of shit. I've seen a lot of shit. A lot of shit's happened to me. Uh, I've done a lot of shit. Some shit that you know I probably shouldn't have been doing. So yeah, I had, I've had a well-lived life. And so at this point, I want to um, spend the rest of my days in peace and tranquility if I can. But I think um, part of, and I've made a lot of friends along the way, um, and I find that my experience kind of, well, any experience in life translates well to others. So people are interested in what I have to say because uh, maybe they've experienced something that I've already have, or see having an issue that I've seen a solution to. So I think more often than not, people um, take my advice, uh, you know, in, in, in good standing. Um, so. I guess my point is that um, I'm not, I'm not cool. I just done a lot of shit, <laughs> but I think that that kind of uh, translates a lot because and I and I think actually yeah I think um 
honestly, like Aaron specifically, you're way cooler than I ever was. And I think part of that, you're cooler than a lot of your peers because you're out there doing cool shit. A lot of guys, not do the fault of their own per se, but you know, just, you know, these are hard times right now. People are having hard times getting jobs or staying employed or staying in housing, you know, it's, it's just it's just going on, you know. Uh, people, you know, people are stuck in the uh, the quagmire of online dating, you know, like it's a very, it's rough out there. I, I, I wasn't a part of that. But, uh, you know, like just, um, just having something engaging to do and you can just be a part of um, and giving you that experience in life that few people have. I think that itself is just part of the main part of it, what just makes somebody cool and interesting. Like, you know, just uh, to have this less of life that few people have insight on and then to be able to share that insight that will in turn enrich other people's lives uh, by which, what you experience. That's always so much more interesting to me than just like being like a, having a flashy car or a house or a fucking Lamborghini or a big watch. That's not cool. That's just, that's just shit, shit, shit you can buy. Cool shit is like you're having life, a life well lived, a life well earned. Like we, recently in the news, uh, Mark Scorsese, he's doing a promotion for his new movie, uh, Flowers of the Killer Moon. He has a big interview in GQ. And again, once again, you know, people kind of take some of his words out of context about, you know, he's kind of, when he talks about Marvel movies and, and comic movies. But when you actually read that, read that interview, this man has, he's lived like several lifetimes of worth of, worth of life. Like uh, he, he, he laments the friends he's lost, you know, and, but he also, and the things he's, he's sacrificed, but also in the, the, the failures, he's, the, the failures he's, he's experienced, not just the victories, you know, like he's, he's done so much and he's experienced so much and he's suffered so much in some ways. Um, but, it, but that kind of, but when you see him, he's just a, when, when you see him talk, when you see him in person, if, if you're lucky enough, he's a radiant person because all that experience is kind of, it galvanizes you. And that in turn kind of spreads to people around you. So yeah, like uh, I would just say, don't worry about being cool. Just worry about living your life. Like, or specifically going life, living your life to the fullest, trying to experience as many things as you can. And just, just doing that, that'll, like, that'll, make, that'll make you an interesting person, which people will gravitate towards. Don't worry, don't worry about being a fucking like a cool dude. That shit don't work. That's for losers. <laughs> yeah, we were talking off air, but I just I'm for those listening. I, I'm just I'm fascinated that Vice like has a job where he does like spreadsheets and shit. Like it just it just <laughs> I can't wrap my head around this larger than life person, this larger than life friend that I have that like gets up Monday at 8 a.m. and is like, okay, time to fill in the, you know, the spreadsheet. Like it just, <laughs> I can't reconcile those in my brain. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm i certainly not one to give any advice on being flying cool. So I'll just second everything Vice said. <laughs> All right, that's, yeah, okay, I don't too much time, so let's do one more, let's do one more. Yeah, we got one more. So from our buddy, Dan Grima, uh, this one's actually, I think good for, for both of us. Um, says, after a lot of thinking, I've finally got an idea for a podcast of my own. How do you guys approach recording each week? Do you write notes to go off of each movie, or do you all decide what big movie to talk and improvise? Also, what do you do in terms of recording and editing? Well, wait, let me, before you go, because you're, you're actually the main the main uh, point behind this one, but I just want to say, for my part, specifically today in this episode, like, like I said, this is kind of a different format, or a change to the format. Um, and usually I do go off the off off the dome, off the head. Um, but I think I'll be perfectly honest. I actually don't like my style of podcasting. I wish that I was more um, practiced and more um, clear, honestly, than what I usually am. Today I did try to take have notes prepared for our conversations today, because normally, well, I won't get too much. Well, 
too much inside baseball, but like normally just in general, Mike handles the itinerary as it were. And then um, Liam has a has a good um, set of topics he wants to talk about. And I just kind of riff on my own, depending on both. We have the movies we do to talk about. I just kind of like riff off my own. And I actually, I don't like that I do that a lot. I would like to be more prepared and, and um, have, have a more, have a more succinct, more succinct points to make. So again, like in today's episode, uh, hopefully, you know, I, I'm still ranting and raving like a lunatic like I always do, but I try to have a little more um, focused intent today. And I think going forward, I'll do the same. I do want to get more. Uh, I want. I don't. I want to. I don't want to waste your time. Your listeners' time. You know. Yeah. I, like the whole part of the point of the show is that we just, we're hanging out, relaxed, we're just doing the shit. Like, like like as if you were you went to see a movie, and you, and you leave the theater, and you're hanging out in a bar or whatever, and you're just chilling out, talking about what you just saw. That's definitely the vibe we want to go for. We want to continue doing that. But I do think just the reality of it is that it's something that I have to. I recognize and have to commit to there is some preparation that, that, that has to take place as far as like the format and presentation of it all that will all that, that will only help the, the, the program so I, I do so as you ask I do want to do that myself I want to I want to get more focused and and concise with what I want to say while still you know having fun just you know riffing so but Mike he, he he's man with the plan though he can tell you about that stuff yeah, I mean, it It kind of depends. You know, part of it is I've, I've been podcasting for five years now, like going all the way back to when I was on the Dana Buckler show. And and so there's, there's a lot of stuff, Dan, that you just kind of have to learn by doing um, because everybody's different. Everybody has a different style. I, uh, and, and, and you'll have a different style from show to show. So for instance, when I was doing Adkins Undisputed, that took an inordinate amount of prep work that took dozens of hours sometimes between uh, having to watch what I, you know, you guys on the discord were joking about that. It's weird here. It was weird hearing me talk about doctors and EastEnders and Holby city and stuff like that. It's like, well, you know, I had to watch all of those or at least as many as I could find uh, you guys over there in the UK do a piss poor job of archiving your soaps. Like, like you, you suck at that. Um, but, uh, but as many as I could and, um, you know, and so, and then the research reading interviews, reading articles, I would always go to, you know, read like our, our friend Brad Curran would almost inevitably have interviewed a director or an actor from whatever movie I was talking about. So I'd always read his work, uh, Mike Fury with his great books, you know, so there was a ton of reading, ton of prep. This podcast is much more loosey-goosey. I don't do as much prep. What I basically do is I decide what I think sort of the best order for narrative to talk about the movies would be. Um, I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but one of the things, especially if you're a host, that you always need to think about is you need to think about how do you keep the show from stagnating? Uh, and, and one of the ways you do that is you sort of craft a narrative in your head of how you want the episode to go. So I always sit down when we decide what movies we're going to talk about. And we do decide that ahead of time. Sometimes it's real short. Like this week, we literally planned like yesterday evening at like 8 p.m. Uh, <laughs> other weeks, it's it's much more up. You know, it's much more in advance. It just kind of depends on our schedules. But I still always try and craft an idea of how I want the show to ebb and flow. So like, for instance, if I've got a movie that you will notice, if we've got a movie that we don't really like, 
we will tend to either kind of bury that in the middle, which is usually what I do, uh, or we get it out of the way right at the start. But but I like to bury it in the middle because uh, recency, privacy, and repetition are the things that people always remember. So if you don't want somebody to remember something, you bury it in the middle of whatever you're talking about. People always remember the first thing you talk about, the last thing you talk about, and the thing you talk about the most. So if there's something that you don't want to highlight, stick it in the middle. Uh, and, and as you know, we try and keep it positive here. So I don't ever want to focus on the negative too much. Um, I like to try and end sort of big and I like to start sort of big. Um, so think about that. If you're a host, the other thing you always have to keep in mind is they're not there for you. Your, your listeners are not there for you. Your listeners have heard you a thousand times. They're not that interested in what you have to say. You are there for the guests. You are there for the guests to make sure that the guest gets to say what they want to say. And your job is to set them up to allow them what they want to say. Um, I do always do a couple of things. I always have the IMDb page and the Wikipedia page up for every movie that we talk about. Uh, because you do not think that you will remember actors' names or directors' names or other movies they've been in. You will 100% blank when you're in front of my, a microphone. I don't do full notes at this point. I've been doing this long enough. I'm fast enough to be able to just look it up and go back and forth. But again, when I started, I did notes. I did full-blown notes, actors, directors, year it came out, other movies I wanted to talk about, everything about that. Preparation will help make you more comfortable, uh, especially if you're not like me and you're okay just sitting down and talking. Um, as far as what we do to record and edit, uh, again, when I was doing Adkins Undisputed, that was a much more arduous process. As you guys remember, I cut a lot more sound clips in and stuff like that. And I was also a lot more concerned about audio quality at that point because that was I was trying to make that kind of a, a thesis project almost uh this i don't do as much we record on zoom uh, i pay for i pay for the zoom subscription so we don't have any time limits and we can have as many people on as we want we record on zoom because zoom allows you to record separate audio channels for every participant it doesn't record it is just one lump audio channel so i can adjust levels as i need um export that. I dump it into Audacity. I run a couple of filters on Audacity for the most part. I, I basically do loudness normalization and compression. And then I make sure that if there's anything like that really needs to be cut, I cut that out, dump a song in, dump the theme song in and put it out. Uh, it takes me, honestly, it takes me about two hours to edit. And most of that is me waiting for my computer to do its thing. That is not going to work for every podcast. Um, that works well for a conversational podcast like this. Uh, my friend Matt Bledsoe that runs the Film Feast podcast, he does about the same thing because that's also a conversational podcast. If you want your podcast to be more professional, like Adkins Undisputed or like something like... Uh, you know, some of the other film podcasts out there. It's, you know, my friend Ryan, who runs the New World Pictures podcast, he spends hours editing. But if you listen to that podcast, it's also about a thousand percent more professional than this one is. So um, you can spend as much or as little time editing as you want. Uh, you just kind of have to decide for you what your podcast wants to sound like. Like Vice said, we try and make this like we're all just sitting around a bar having a couple of pints and, and talking movies. 
that wouldn't be the case for every other podcast that I did. If I had, you know, if I ever get the Criteria Lenko collection off the ground, that's going to be <laughs> like Adkins Undisputed. That's going to be 10 hours, 10 to 12 hours of work every single episode, which is why it's not off the ground yet. Um, <laughs> and that's why Adkins Undisputed hasn't come back. I just can't, I can't put in that kind of work right now. Um, so yeah, um, as far as, I guess the last thing I have to say, as far as equipment goes, there is no single thing you can do to improve the quality of your podcast more than buying a decent microphone. Uh, you do not have to buy a $500 Sure microphone. You don't have to buy a mixing board or anything like that. I've got all of those, but actually, honestly, my mixing board is kind of having some issues and my expensive mic doesn't work without it. So I'm running a blue Yeti right now, straight into my computer. And I actually sound fine. I think you guys may disagree, <laughs> but don't buy the cheapest shit you can find. You really need to spend realistically, I think between 75 and a hundred dollars. There are a ton of quality microphones out there for that price. That's really your target investment, but that's about the only investment you need to pay. And then paying for zoom and, and Zencaster. You don't really need to pay any more than that if you don't want to, but a good quality mic will make all the difference in the world. It, it will make your editing much easier. Uh, it will make your life much easier. Everything else is gravy, but don't skimp on the mic. Um, yeah. And I think that's all I've got. Vice, anything else you want to add on that? Don't skip on the mic. That's, that's a double entendre. It works both ways. Without Mike Scott, like, I love you, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Well, and, and I just want to say, you know, thank you for giving me this opportunity today to kind of uh, draw the bus here. Because, you know, like, like I said, I, 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 I suck at it, but, you know, I'm a, I, you, you, only, you only improve by doing it. So hopefully yeah, I can, uh, if your future, future further endeavors, get better at this and uh, draw the show a little more. That's the thing I always tell people. Look podcasting is a skill it's like any skill and i've had i've had friends who have wanted to get into podcasting and they they wait and they wait and they wait and everything's got to be perfect and everything's got to be this and everything's got to be that dude sit down with a microphone a friend and a free podcaster for spotify account and record your fucking podcast and put it out there the only way you're going to improve is by doing it. You you can do all the prep work you want ahead of time. That's not going to tell you how many times you say um or how many times you you lose your train of thought or anything along those lines. So record, record, record and just put it out. Don't worry about having 10 episodes banked or however much like. I guess this is my final piece of advice. If you are podcasting for anybody but yourself, if you are podcasting because you think you're going to meet people or because you've listened to other podcasts and you're hoping that you'll get to, to know them, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's too much work and you're going to fail. Uh, your podcast is absolutely going to fail. You're going to get overwhelmed with the work and it's not going to sound natural and it's not going to sound good. You need to podcast because you think you have something to say. And as my good friend Kenny B from, from uh, Podcast on Fire always says, you do. Each and every one of you has an authentic voice and an authentic point of view, and you have something to say. And if you trust that, 
people will listen. If you are doing it because you're hoping to work your way up the food chain, people will know that too. And it will, it won't work. It, it won't. Um, so figure out why you're podcasting and what you want to say and trust that. Uh, that 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 is the best way to success because it doesn't matter at that point how many listeners you have who cares uh if you're saying something because you want to say it it's rewarding in and of itself you know i started when i started i had i think my first episode of adkins undisputed i had 25 downloads um <laughs> you know we have more than 10 times that now we have 20 times that now um and, you know, and we're getting close to, uh, I think we're getting close to 100,000 total downloads, um, you know, but I don't do it for that. I do it because these two dumb motherfuckers every Sunday, <laughs> I like to sit and shoot the shit with them about movies. Um, so, all right, I'm done ranting about that. If people have other questions or you want more advice, join the Discord uh, drop in there, ask me questions there. I'm, I'm happy to, to share what, what minuscule podcasting knowledge I have acquired over the last five years I have to share. Yeah. I'm just here to talk shit. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so with that all said, um, hope you guys enjoy the show today. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different format, but, um, I hope that we, uh, have been just entertaining and enlightening as uh, our, norm our normally scheduled programming. So let's uh, let me see how how's this go again. I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I gotta drive the bus off the exit ramp. Let me see. So where can you find us? That's where how it goes. Yeah, you see. <laughs> so Mike, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me. Uh, basically, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd and Blue Sky at Hibachi Justice. But don't like I don't try and find me. You can find the show on Linktree slash A4E podcast um, and, and find me in the Discord. Again, it's an open Discord. Invites do expire, but just hit us up for an invite. We, we, we're we having, uh, Max has been doing some really fun streams on there. He's been streaming movies. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's, it's a great time. Come and hang out with us there. That's the best place to find me. Yeah, exactly. So and I know I'm on uh, Instagram at a Pethodist looking hot. Put all my good foods out. Oh man, last night I mean, just like I had this uh, rib roast in my freezer for the longest time. So I was like, you know what? It's time. It's time. I made a dope ass rib roast. Came out perfect. Brown the outside, pink on the inside. So, there's a there's a dirty joke in this. Brown the outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a joke there, but I won't go that far. It's, we'll keep it clean right now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> shout out to my wife. Love you, wife. <laughs> yeah, please, please don't, please don't start talking about white people's dicks again. Please, we, I, I'm still scarred from when that came up six months ago. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, that's it. Also, find me on uh, Letterbox. I, I have been delaying my um, reviews because I was busy with work, with my boring work. But I'll do it, but my best I can to put my all of my recent reviews, um, the full reviews on my Letterbox. So I'll have, try to have Moss Commission, Paw Patrol, and so forth on there. Um, as always, until one of us dies, until it explodes, or I explode, I'm on Twitter, at uh, Fetus, talking all the shit. And also, all with that, you can also find, you're listening to our A Free Podcast, so you know where to find us. But we're on at A Free Podcast on Twitter, uh, Instagram as well. Uh, Blue Sky, if you're still, still on that one, I know this shit is going to shit in a, in a handbag so fast. So get your, get your Blue Sky invites, man. <laughs> You'll need it. So we're on Blue Sky at, at the A Free Podcast. Uh, at linktree slash a free podcast to find all the uh, podcast links. 
And yeah, and you, you know where to find us. You can find us on the streets, in your house, in your hearts, in minds. You love us, we love you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know where to find us. We're, we're out there for you, for the peoples. So yeah, so thank you once again. Uh on this beautiful day. Uh and uh with all that, we'll we'll part part ways. Adieu until next time. Peace. Bye.